All right, guys, we are back with our teaching in the book of Revelation. Last time we were here, we were dealing with the church of Philadelphia, which was the church age of evangelism, a period of approximately about 1500, I'm sorry, 1700 up until 1900. So that is the prophetic time period that relates to the church of Philadelphia. And if you recall, Philadelphia, also like the church of Smyrna, was a church in which the Lord had nothing bad to say about it. So his basic admonition to that church was to continue doing the good works that you were doing. And we recall once again that the church of Philadelphia basically dealt with the prophetic time period of evangelism that the Lord opened the door for Christian missionary work for the whole world to the whole world. And so during it was basically during that period that Christians could go to any place in the world and the missionaries from Christian the, the point is Christian missionaries were not so wealthy as it was opportunity was afforded to them and they use whatever wealth that they had that is the church use whatever wealth that they had in order to send missionaries throughout the whole world okay and so that's pretty much the idea of the church of philadelphia now let's move into the last church which we will deal with the last church age which will be indicative of our present church age in other words this is the reflective time in which we are living in today. So this is the prophetic time period for the church of today. It is the church of Laodicea. So we'll be starting at Revelation 3 and verse 14. Now, this time I'm going to take my time since this is the last church. This is the, the seventh church in the letters to the seven churches. <laughs> Since this is the last church and it is indicative of our present day and time, I want to take my time and dissect it as we move through the verses. OK, so we're going to slow it down quite a bit. And I want to provide explanation for the church of Laodicea as it existed in that past tense time. That is that what literal interpretation, because we recall that all of the letters in Revelation have both a literal uh, revelate, literal meaning. That is, there is a, uh, um, it has a significance to the church that it was written in the time of John. So the literal meaning, and it also has a prophetic meaning. In other words, it speaks of the church age or one of the periods of the church. All right. So we want to bring both of those ideas in mind as we move through the verses and I want to kind of take my time with it and explain uh, the issues that are involved. So this one may take a slightly a little more time than I usually usually spend on it. All right. But nevertheless, let's get started with Laodicea, the final church, the final church age. Verse 14 to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this. All right. So he begins with the recipient of the letter and it is to the angel that is to the messenger. And we can always, we can understand that in a sense, like to the pastor, to the leader of the church, 
But nevertheless, the church is Laodicea. Now, interesting about the name, the name Laodicea, as it speaks to this church overall, the name is quite illuminating. Laodicea comes from two basic Greek words that we can put together, which means people ruling, people ruling. That is something or uh, other words concerning the church, one that is being ruled by, by the dictates or whims of the people. All right. So people ruling and also, as we said, oh, let me make, make this part clear. The final church age or Laodicea, the prophetic period. It begins at 1900 and continues to the end of the church age. Now, remember that the church age ends at the rapture of the church so that this period for the church started in 1900 and it ends at the rapture of the church. And that is the present period in which we are in now. Uh, another thing, Laodicea, as we will see, will be characterized by apostasy. Laodicea is characterized by apostasy. Now, apostasy basically means to fall away, the falling away or the turning away of doctrines, doctrinal beliefs that the church once held to. So the faithfulness of the church, we will see is basically faltered. The church is not going to be pictured as a saved church. Now, another thing, as we move through this teaching concerning Laodicea, remember the church of Smyrna, as well as the church of Philadelphia, the Lord had nothing bad to say about those particular churches. Now, the church of Laodicea is the exact opposite the Lord has nothing good to say about this particular church. And it is interesting also to, to note, we just dealt with the church of Philadelphia, remember, and all of the good things that the Lord said about the church of Philadelphia. It is interesting to note, right following, right behind them, as he speaks of Laodicea, he says nothing bad about Philadelphia. He turns right around and says absolutely nothing good about the church of Laodicea. But anyway, before we get into all of those details, let's go back to verse number 14. Now, we've just dealt with the recipient, Laodicea. We've dealt with the meaning of the name, people ruling, and how that this particular name speaks to the spiritual disposition of the church. It's not a church that Jesus ruled, it's a church that the people themselves rule. And now let's look at how Jesus portrays himself to the church. And he basically gets this imagery. Remember all the imagery of the Lord he takes from the previous picture of himself in chapter one. So now let's look at the image that he gives of himself to this particular church. He calls himself the amen, the faithful and the true witness. Now let's just look at that. The amen, amen basically means so let it be. It gives the idea of agreeance. And so, so let it be, bring, bring up, bring alongside of that. So let it be agreeing the faithful one and the true witness. So it, there's a sense of 
ominous that's involved in Jesus' portrayal of himself to this church and the sense of finality, a sense of, and, and when you see the faithful and true, in other words, what he's, he is, he pictures himself as the one who has the final word and the word that he gives is a true word. And that's why he says, amen, faithful and true. One who gives that final and last word and that word that he speaks concerning this church is one that they can count on and believe. That's his disposition. And in the same sense, as we bring along all of those ideas that are involved with this last church, it is an ominous word. It is almost one that should put a sense of fear in this church. And as we move along, we're going to see exactly why Jesus pictures himself in an ominous, even a fearful way to this church. Okay. Then he says at the end of verse number 14, he calls himself the beginning of the creation of God. That, okay. Now, I like this. It can be somewhat confusing when we look at it in English when it says the beginning of the creation of God. Don't confuse this as Jesus is referring to himself as a created being. He is not. Actually, I love this. In the Greek, it says, hey, arketes tisios tuteu. And so and the wonderful word that he uses is arche in the Greek. Now, that word means beginning as well as ruler. And that's why I, lo I love that word beginning and ruler. It is such a fit word to describe Jesus by beginning. It means originator one from whom all things come forth from. So that's why you see in John chapter one, when the Bible talks how God, that is God, the father created the world. He created the world through Jesus, that is, by him, all things were created. And then again, when we look at Colossians, when we look at God speaking of creation again and Jesus, it talks about how it was through Jesus, all things were created. So it is not when we look at it here once again in Revelation and it uses that term archaic, it is not speaking of Jesus as a created being, but the source of all creation. In other words, all of creation emanates, comes from him. He is the creator of all things. And apart from him, creation itself would never even exist. Paul breaks into that particular doxology concerning Jesus. He says, all things are held together. The whole universe is being held together in Jesus himself. So this is basically the idea that we see when he talks about the arcade, the ruler of the creation of God. So not only is he the originating source, he is also the ruler, that word arcade again. That's why I love that word because the, the complexity of the meaning of that word. But he is also not only the source, but he is the ruler. That which comes from him, he rules and reigns over it. Okay, so you can see that picture of ominence that we have concerning the person of Jesus as he gives his final word to the church of Laodicea. All right. So now what do we have? We have the recipient. We have Jesus's disposition 
of himself towards the church. Now, since there is nothing good that Jesus says about the church, he simply goes into his condemnation. Verse number 15. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. All right. So now Jesus goes into his condemnation. So clearly, as he has said for all of the churches, I know your deeds. And that's something that, as I've said, for all of these letters, we always want to remember Jesus is well aware of what we do, what we say, how we think. There is nothing that you can hide from the Lord. So therefore, it simply behooves you to live right, to ask God to purify the heart and the mind so that you may be approved before God. That is if that is your aim. And I do like that. Okay. I'm not going to go on a tangent on that, but the whole point that Jesus simply says, as he always says, is I know your works. And then he says that they were neither cold nor hot. Now, let me take a little time to explain this concerning the church of Laodicea. Laodicea, and, and this is one of the, and these are spiritual statements that the Lord is using concerning uh, Laodicea. And this brings the idea of apathy. But let me, let me explain it first. Laodicea was situated between Kalos and Hierapolis. In Kalos, they had cold water. And in Hierapolis, they had hot water. And so Laodicea would, would get their hot water from Hierapolis, but because it was approximately, I think about six miles, five or six miles away from Laodicea, by the time the water reached Laodicea, the water was lukewarm, making the water for the most part not uh, unpalatable. It wasn't good to the taste. And so Jesus uses this same idea concerning the city, something that they themselves can relate to and something that they themselves found unpalatable. They didn't like the warm water themselves. And so Jesus says that their spiritual condition was the same thing. They themselves were lukewarm. And Jesus said, I wish that you were either hot or cold. And the idea of hot meaning that fervent for the Lord, the idea of cold meaning simply rejecting the Lord. So we see a sense of spiritual apathy toward the by the Laodiceans. They, they were, I'm all right, you all right in the Lord. But indeed, we're going to find out some other things about the Laodiceans. I want to get to it right now that it'll give us meaning what Jesus means by that they are lukewarm. Okay. And then as he says in verse number 16, and because of their spiritual apathy or their lukewarmness, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, even though we use that term spit, the word in the Greek is emesa. It literally means to vomit, to vomit out of my mouth. And so what Jesus is saying is, it's not that he, he, he's somewhat 
partially accepts the church in its lukewarmness, it means he uh, he absolutely rejects the church and he finds them so unpalatable that it causes him to vomit. Or in other words, we would say to puke. So this church, as we began to see in the description of Jesus's rebuke to this church, as he talks about their works, they are a church completely rejected by the Lord. Now, as I'm moving through the verses, remember what I'm saying, that the church of Laodicea is indicative prophetically of the final church age for from what 1900 until the rapture of the church. That is the present age of the church. And that is the this present church. So what I mean by all of this is this. When you see me speak or oh, in the scriptures, actually, of the prophetic time period, it does not mean that every single congregation is this way. That's not what the Lord is trying to say. But what he is saying is the church as a whole can be characterized in this manner. Did you get that? So I, I, I belabor that, but I hope that you understood it. So the church as a whole can be seen, but not every single congregation has to necessarily be described in this manner. So now let us back back up to Laodicea. The church as a whole can be seen in this manner. And the whole idea that you're going to see is it is an absolute unfavorable light that Jesus is describing the church as a whole which should make us have some self-reflection. And that's the whole reason why he wrote it in the first place is that we should think. Remember, he said at the end of every letter, every letter to a particular church, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He, he wants you to think about what he is trying to say. But anyway, nevertheless, so he is saying to this particular church, we're finishing verse number 16, about their spiritual apathy or in other words their lukewarmness and Jesus's total rejection of this church I vomit you out of my mouth all right now let's continue on with Jesus rebuke as he lists his reasons for his rejection of this church as well as their self-satisfaction 17 because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, let me take this stuff apart. Okay. Notice in their self-satisfaction, and that's basically what we see, because of their wealth. Now, let me take you, give you a historical point. The city of Laodicea was a very wealthy city. Let me give you an example. Back in, I believe it was roughly around 60 AD, there was an earthquake that hit the regions in that area. And many of the many cities needed the help of Rome. They needed the financial assistance of Rome in order to rebuild their cities. But Laodicea was so wealthy that when Rome offered to send them financial help, they told them, we don't need your help. So they were independent. They were financially wealthy, independent, and didn't need the help of Rome to rebuild their city. So they were wealthy. Another example, Laodicea was also known for the banks that were in Laodicea, the numerous banks. So 
They were, in other words, one thing was clear about the city of Laodicea was their wealth. And Jesus uses that same thought, that same ideal principle here in their wealth, because in their wealth, they became self-satisfied and also reflection of the church. They were spiritually self-satisfied and their wealth also made them spiritually apathetic to Jesus. You, do you understand the point that I'm trying to make? You see, they had everything. Don't you remember? And it's the beautiful thing. And I like to remember it in my own personal prayers. When the, when Moses said to the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses said, all right, you're getting ready to enter into the promised land. What kind of land is it? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a land where you'll find houses that you did not build. You'll find fruit trees that you did not plant. It's a land where you will have plenty and lack nothing. And Moses warned them. He said, but be careful when you enter into this place of prosperity in your life. Be mindful that you do not forget God. And that's something that is so easy to do as soon as we begin to experience a certain level of material prosperity. We begin to be like the, the, the Laodiceans. We become self-indulgent. We become independent and we become spiritually apathetic. We are not praying anymore. We are not. There's no more praying and fasting. There's no more. The thought of God, the need of God becomes more irrelevant than anything. And God, we we. We're saved. Everybody Christian. Everybody saved. And this is what Jesus means by lukewarm. Lukewarm. But nevertheless, I'm going back. I'm going back to the wealth thing. So the Laodiceans, though they were wealthy, and notice what they said, we don't have need of nothing. And that brings about that idea of what I was talking about in 60 when the earthquake hit and they told Rome, we don't need you. And so the same thing too, they think from Jesus, same thing. We don't have any spiritual need. And notice what Jesus says. He says, the reality is this. He made them aware of their spiritual condition. And he used, what is it? Five terms. He says, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now I don't want to break all of them down, but the overall picture is one of a vagabond. But notice, look at the terms itself, wretched and, and wretched basically brings in the idea of having nothing, being pathetic. And all of that, he pretty much almost enunciates that. Wretched and the idea of being miserable. And then he says, poor. Now, the last thing that the Laodiceans would have conceived about themselves was poor. But what Jesus was saying was, in their economic and financial riches, the reality was they were spiritually impoverished. Tokas is the word that he used. It means you had nothing. And then he said blind, such a beautiful thing. Blind. It simply means you don't need, you're not even aware of your spiritual condition. They think that they know and have no idea that God doesn't even want you. Remember what he just said? I vomit you out of my mouth. But in their mind, they think that they know. And there's so many times I always have issues with people like that. 
people who think that they see, but in reality are blind because you reject what God has said and you reject the teachings and the word of God. But nevertheless, so he was simply saying blind and naked. So when we look at this overall picture, it is a picture of a blind, poorly clothed, beggar, destitute on the street. And the last thing that the Laodiceans would have pictured themselves as is this case. But Jesus says, in all of your wealth, can you imagine? Notice, just think about it in your mind. Contrast the two pictures. What the Laodiceans probably looked like in appearance. As wealthy people, they looked wealthy. They dressed wealthy. But spiritually, what? They were impoverished like a blind, and that's the poorest man that you would find in society, a blind beggar. Jesus said, spiritually, you are the poorest one of all. You're the wealthiest one of all. And that's what we see concerning the Laodicean church. They were the wealthiest church of all. And at the same time, they were the most spiritually impoverished ones of all. And what does that say about us today? Because even today, in our economic experiences, and you know, we really value money. We really value wealth with all of the, especially the foolish teaching from such ones as Joel Osteen about prosperity, using God as a means to acquire money. We have, but what is the true spiritual condition of your soul like? The answer is, well, only you can answer that. <laughs> Let's continue. So what is so we see that Jesus picture of this church is one of abject poverty that is spiritual poverty. All right. Let's continue with Jesus's admonition and bring along an exhortation from the Lord. All right. 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and I solve to anoint your eyes that you may see. All right. So what does he do? Again, there is a reflection back to Laodicea when he says, I advise to you buy from me gold refined by fire. Now, all of these statements in verse 18 are statements that relate to salvation, statements that relate to salvation, or in other words, the righteousness of salvation. He says the gold that is refined by fire that relates to Laodicea. Remember, Laodicea was a wealthy church. Remember the banks of Laodicea. And so Jesus says, get from him true gold. And that true gold would be, in other words, as we would simply say it, spiritual gold. Or that righteousness, again, righteousness of salvation. And in having this, they indeed will become rich. Not just materially rich, but spiritually rich. Then he says, white garments so that you can clothe yourself from the shame of your nakedness. Now, Laodicea was known for raising a particular sheep. It was a black sheep. 
And from this black sheep, they will get a black wool, a very shiny, beautiful black wool. And Laodicea had basically become infamous for this particular cloth from the black sheep. Jesus uses that, that which they know and can relate to and says, no, I want you to get from me what? White garments. And the white basically speaks of the righteousness again of salvation. So buy that, get that, acquire that from him. And notice to clothe the shame of their nakedness. So I like all of the statements that the Lord is making. If anything, the Laodiceans were not, it was shame because of their wealth. They were prideful and arrogant. They thought that they were in good shape with Jesus, I, I guess somehow because of their wealth. And you know, you find that same type of foolishness that is taught today in the church, that if you are materially prosperous, somehow that says that you are spiritually in good shape with Jesus. But here Jesus is given the very opposite of that message. They were materially prosperous, but spiritually destitute. But nevertheless, so he says, get the white garments from me. Then he says, I want you to buy the eye salve that you can anoint your eyes. Once again, this speaks of Laodicea in the, um, Escleopius, I believe that's what the temple of Escleopius, the Laodiceans sold a certain salve, a certain eye salve. They were known for that to anoint the eyes to help with eye problems and blindness. Notice what Jesus says to them. You need to buy eye salve from me to cure your spiritual blindness. In other words, you believe that you're in good shape with me, but in reality, you are blind and have no idea of my spiritual disposition towards you. And what was this disposition of Jesus? He said, I vomit you out of my mouth. This is a totally rejected church. Now, as we look at in verses 17 and 18, and let me slow it down. Notice what Jesus says concerning them, right? Their spiritual condition. He says, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You got that? And then he says, you are actually poor and need to buy gold from me. I'm in verse number 18. He says, actually, you are shame and naked and you need to buy clothing from me. And then he says, and you need to buy some eye salve because you are spiritually blind. So in other words, everything that Jesus says concerning this church speaks not simply of their spiritual destitution. And what I'm trying to do is drive a point home. That church is not saved. That church is completely an unsaved church. It is a spiritually destitute church. And notice, as we said earlier, what did Jesus have good to say about this church? Nothing. He had absolutely nothing to say good about this particular church. All right. Uh, every church, Jesus had at least something good to say, but nothing good to say. So that's the whole point that I'm trying to drive home. They did not know the Lord. Now they had everything. They had all the money. They had all the prestige. They had all the influence. They had everything but Jesus. But the thing about it is they thought they did. 
They thought they did. They thought because of their material prosperity, it was a reflection of their spiritual condition. Jesus said it is indeed a reflection of your spiritual condition, but it's the reverse of it. It's the opposite of your spiritual condition. But anyway, so let's go on to verse number 19. To those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Now, notice what you, I like verse number 19, especially there's an interesting thing that Jesus said. But, but, but let me deal with it. To those whom I love. So, the reproof of Jesus, the rebuke that we see coming from our Lord is not a rebuke because he does not love this church. Notice he says he does love this church. And at the same time, I like this too. He he uses, he doesn't use the common word, even the word that you would expect. Agapao, that is the word for love that God uses for his people. That is the love that God has for his people. It is, agapao means a self sacrificing love. That is the love that Jesus has for his church. But he doesn't use that particular word in verse number 19. He uses the word phileo. Phileo basically is a love of friendship. So two things that I can pretty much see here. Number one, his disposition. Even though Jesus is displeased that this church is not truly a saved church, he doesn't hate them. He has a friendly disposition. And that's why we can see that idea of invitation that's going to come up in the next verse. But I don't want to get there yet. But that's why you're going to see that idea of what? Invitation. Because he uses that term phileo. But at the same time, I believe because there is the absence of that agapao, that septa, which is the normal word that he uses. It's the most common word that the Lord uses with respect to the church. It's, it tells us even the more. They're not his. They don't belong to Jesus. So this church, although Jesus desires a relationship with the church, we're going to see that. I keep tipping into that. But nevertheless, they're still not his people. Okay. And what does he say? But because of this, he he commands them to be zealous and repent. Turn around. Listen to what Jesus is saying, and that is the idea of respond to this rebuke, a scathing rebuke it is, but nevertheless, they are required to respond to it. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. All right, let me deal with that one. So Jesus now says that he pictures himself as one who stands at the door and knock. A couple of things also we get from this again. This church is completely unsaved. Notice where Jesus, notice where proximity, where Jesus is in res, with respect to this church. Jesus is not inside of this church. He is on the outside of this church, out, out of the church. He says, I stand at the door. So therefore, Jesus is beckoning the church to let him in. Once again, it is just this is just further artillery, more facts that we have as proof that this church 
is not saved. And remember, as I keep saying this church, let your mind open up prophetically. What does these church ages represent? It represents the general church at large during a certain time period. So I'm speaking about this present age of the church. I'm speaking, Jesus is speaking here about the church as we know it today. The church as we know it today, even though many people go to church, listen to the music, some may even call themselves reading the Bible. What is the point of Jesus? He says, you are spiritually apathetic. You are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were. It is a church that is unsaved. And that's the whole point that we're trying to drive home now. All right. So Jesus is saying, he says, I'm at the door and I'm knocking. That is the idea of invitation. And also, too, it shows the loving grace and mercy of the Lord. And then, uh, and then there's another thing, too. Notice he stands at the door and knock. He's not going to force himself on anybody. Another thing that you can draw out of that, the key or the lock is on the inside. You have to open the door. That is, you have to respond to the word of God. You have to respond to Jesus' call to repent and to turn around. And then there's another thing that we see here, the warmth of Jesus. In that invitation, there's a sense of love and invitation, the warmness of our Lord. I stand at the door and knock. So you have to understand who is it who's standing at the door. This is the Eight, this is the remember when he talked about this, the rule of the arcade. Remember that word that I talked about earlier, the rule of the beginning of the creation of God. This is the one from whom all creation comes from. Does Jesus have to stand at your door and hope that you will open it up? No, he doesn't have to do a doggone thing. But nevertheless, the Lord doesn't force himself upon anybody. And at the same time, you see the love and the warmth and the invitation. When Jesus is simply saying, please open your door and let me in. And just think about it. You ain't letting Jesus in simply because it's good for him. You are letting Jesus in because it's good for you. But nevertheless, okay, enough of that. And so he says, and if you do open up your heart to Jesus, that is open the door, I come in and dine with him and he with me. That's the picture of fellowship. To sit and eat is the picture of fellowship. Jesus will come into your heart. He'll come into your mind. He'll come into your life and he'll change you. And Jesus says he'll change you from being lukewarm and he'll make you hot for him. All right, but let's finish it. 21, the final promise of Jesus. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So in his final promise, he, he, and that is the word of encouragement. That's what we have here. Jesus says that he will allow such a person who rightly responds to his message. The response to the message is simply to repent, to repent, to turn around. And he says the promise or the reward that Jesus will give him is the reward to rule with Jesus 
on a throne. Now, that's not you'll sit on the throne of God himself. That's Jesus speaking of reigning. And you'll see that in Revelation chapter 20 reigning in the millennial kingdom. When, when John says that I saw thrones and dominion was given unto them. And that's when Jesus will fulfill this part of what he's saying right now, that if you respond to him rightly, he will grant you a reward that you will rule in the millennial kingdom to come. And then he urges as he always do at the end of this letter, every letter that he has given, respond to his message. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to all the churches in every church age. Now, let me give a final word about this. The church of Laodicea. If there is one thing that I want to make very clear is, it is a picture of the church today. Notice what Jesus says about the church today. It is a totally unsaved church. Now, although it is a wealthy church, they have all the material needs that material, forget needs. We got many of the things that we want, but in all of the material prosperity that we have, the one thing that we need the most, we are severely lacking. And that is a true spiritual relationship with Jesus. My question to you, are you a member of Laodicea? Are you one who simply has all the material things? You got everything, you got, you got money in the bank, you drive a nice car, you live in a fairly decent home, you got all of this, but the question remains, do you truly have a relationship with Jesus or are you lukewarm thinking that you're in good shape? And Jesus would say, if he actually saw you, if you actually stood before the judgment seat of God, would Jesus say, I vomit you out of my mouth. I don't want you. That's for you to determine. All right, guys, I'll catch you on the next one. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe.